your Bibles and turn into Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, and that will be our scripture reading for tonight. Clay Tidwell will have that for us. Reading from Ecclesiastes 12, verses 13 and 14. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. I don't want to take up uh, a lot of time on more uh, mundane matters, but um, I do want to take just a moment to say thank you for uh, the wonderful expressions of um, love and appreciation that you have uh, given to us, especially this morning, uh, but really for the past... um, for the past three years, we're very grateful. And I think I've got control of the waterworks tonight, so I think we'll, we'll be all right. Um, but I'm grateful for that, grateful for you, and um, uh, wanted to express that to you before, uh, before we left. Most people, <clears throat> when uh, discussing very important matters, will ultimately want to get to what we generally call the bottom line. Perhaps if you're buying a car and you are speaking with the salesman, you may get to the point, and it may come fairly early in the process, where you say, you know what, let's just get to the bottom line. Or perhaps with a medical diagnosis. You're speaking with your doctor, you're, you know, maybe you're ill or something, and you just say, you know what, just give me the bottom line. As a matter of fact, we were having lunch today, and I don't know, if Mary, if you heard this or not, but uh, when we first sat down at the restaurant, the couple across from us, I don't know what they were discussing, I, I didn't hear that part of it, uh, but I just remember hearing uh, the, the man who was speaking to what I assume was his wife, uh, I just heard him say, all right, just give me the bottom line. So it's, it, we hear it all the time. And it's something that, um, that can help us when we, just, when we get rid of all of the extraneous peripheral issues and are allowed to just focus on what's most important. That's what Solomon does in Ecclesiastes uh, when we get to the text that was read just a moment ago. But in that book, Solomon has been, leading up to the end there, he's been chronicling in the book his search for life's meaning, for life's purpose. He's trying to figure out what it all means what it's all about, and trying to find explanations for things that seem like they're very wrong, 
that, that, it's things that don't make sense. And so he's been trying to work himself through that. If you want to hold your place in chapter 12 and uh, turn back to uh, some of these other passages, I'll give you just a few quick examples. Chapter 2, verse number 17. Ecclesiastes 2, verse 17. <coughs> At this point, Solomon says, So I hated life. For the work which had been done under the sun was grievous to me, because everything is futility and striving after the wind. Everything is vanity, futility, emptiness, worthlessness. And Solomon made that statement after earlier in the chapter he had talked about all the things that he did to try to find lasting happiness. And how he poured himself, for example, into, into work and just worked himself almost to death. And then when all was said and done, he said, you know what, that didn't satisfy. Everything still seemed to be very empty and without meaning. Look at chapter uh, 3, verse number 11. Chapter 3, verse 11. He, speaking of God, He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also said eternity in their heart, yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning, even unto the end. So God has set things in their appropriate places and for their appropriate times, but He said even still, we're unable to truly figure out everything that God's doing. Why God's doing it. And that was frustrating. For Solomon. Look at chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Then I looked again at all the acts of oppression which were being done under the sun. And behold, I saw the tears of the oppressed, and that they had no one to comfort them. And on the side of their oppressors was power, but they had no one to comfort them. So, I congratulated the dead who are already dead more than the living who are still living. But better off than both of them is the one who has never existed, who has never seen the evil activity that's done under the sun. Solomon said the dead are better than the living because they've escaped from all of this. But he said even better than those two is the person that's never existed, that's never had to experience what he saw as... Terrible evils in the world. And specifically in chapter 4, he's talking about people that are oppressed. People who suffer under the heavy hand of other people. On the side of the oppressors, he said, I saw a lot of power. But no one to comfort the people that are suffering at their hand. And so those are just a few examples of the things that Solomon was trying to work himself through in this book. Now ask yourself... Have I ever been there? Maybe you have. Maybe you're, maybe you're in a sense there now. Where you're trying to figure out what's happening in this world. And we see things in the world where, where people are oppressed. Sometimes in our country, sometimes in other countries. And it seems that there's no one able to help and alleviate the pain, 
And so maybe you've tried to work yourself through some of these things and tried to figure out why this happens and this other thing doesn't. And, and uh, all of those things that can make us question certain things. Contemplating the mess that our world is in can lead to despair. And that's where it led Solomon. Until. Until he finally figured out the bottom line. Maybe a reminder of that can help us. Where we can remove distractions and focus our attention on the bottom line. You know, there are a lot of things in this life that we simply can't control. And that can be despair, despairing in itself. Especially if you are the type of personality that likes to be able to control things. That's not necessarily a bad trait. It can be if we let it get out of hand. But if we are that personality especially, and, and we encounter what we perceive to be inequities in life, and we can't do anything about it, sometimes that can lead us even into deeper despair. But the bottom line, at least for this point, is we can't control everything. We were not created to be able to control everything. But what I can control is me. I can't control anybody else. God didn't give me the ability, incidentally, to control anybody else, nor did He give me the responsibility to control anybody else. And truth be known, uh, I've got plenty of hours in the day that I need to devote to working on controlling myself. And if I'd focus on that, I wouldn't have time to try to control things that are even beyond my ability to control in the first place. So I can't control a lot of the things that happen in life. I, I don't have the answers to a lot of the things that happen in life. God hasn't given us answers to everything. But He has placed something within our control, and that's the bottom line. So when Solomon gets through all of his analysis, of what's life about? What's, the, what's its purpose? Where's the meaning? What about all these things that happen that I can't explain, that I don't understand? Ultimately, that's where Solomon gets in chapter 12 when he says, here's the conclusion. All has been heard. You think about Solomon, for example. No one in the ancient world was as wealthy as he. If there was ever anybody in that world at that time who lived under the, the umbrella of if I want it, I'll get it, it was Solomon. If he wanted it, he could have it. He could have bought anything. And Ecclesiastes, he basically says, I pretty much did. So Solomon, probably greater than any other person, had the ability... 
to investigate all of the other, all of the avenues of life through which a person might try to find happiness, contentment, meaning, and purpose. If anybody was going to be able to search that out to the nth degree, it was going to be Solomon. And he tried. And that's why he says there at the end, you know what? All has been heard. I've gathered all the evidence. I've looked in every place. I've left no stone unturned. I've left no trinket purchased. All has been heard. Here's the bottom line. And it's really not all that complicated. Fear God. Keep His commandments. This is the whole of man. Some translations add the word duty there, which probably helps explain it a little bit. But basically, Solomon is saying this is what humankind is about. This is what it is to be a person. Fear God, keep His commandments. Let's talk about those two things for just a couple of minutes. First of all, fearing God. Getting a grip on life starts there. You want to get a handle on life, it's going to start with thinking properly about God. Understanding who God is. We talked a little bit about that this morning, especially in, in the Bible class hour here in the auditorium. But it's the fear of God that is the beginning of both wisdom, Psalm 111 verse 10, and knowledge, Proverbs 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. So you want to you want to be able to, first of all, um, understand what's happening and be able to reason correctly about it. There's your knowledge and your wisdom. Unless and until a person has a proper respect for and fear of God, they're not going to get it. You know, there are a lot of smart people in this world who don't get it. There are a lot of people in the world who can, you know, who, who wear, uh, you know, nice white lab coats and, and um, you know, they've got the alphabet soup, you know, af after their name with all the degrees that they've got. Smart people. But you know what? If they don't fear God, they don't get it. They just don't. Because true knowledge and true wisdom are rooted in a proper understanding of who God is and a respect for the same. So if we want to be able to assess life, and deal appropriately with it, we've got to start there. We've got to think right about God. Because what's wrong with the world, ultimately, is sin. That's it. That's ultimately what's wrong with the world. Now, that doesn't mean that everything that happens to any individual happens as a direct result of some sin. Okay, That's not what I'm saying. But the simple fact that there is suffering in the world is ultimately connected back to the existence of sin in the world. Sin has always been the world's problem. It was the first thing that went wrong with the world, 
And it's been the world's problem ever since. But what was the cause of sin? Ultimately, faulty thinking about God. Hold your place in Ecclesiastes and turn over to the third chapter of the book of Romans. Romans chapter 3. First three chapters of Romans are devoted to establishing the fact that mankind needs a Savior. That mankind has been and is guilty of sin and needs for somebody, or needed until Jesus came, somebody to do something about the sin problem. Jesus, of course, ultimately did. Chapter 1 of Romans focuses on the Gentile world and how they had been guilty of of, uh, forsaking God and and involved in all kinds of of sins. Chapter 2, the Jewish people were guilty of sin also. Not necessarily the same kinds of sins as the Gentiles, but sin nonetheless. And then chapter 3, he's summarizing that by addressing the fact that everybody, Jew and Gentile, is guilty of sin. So begin in verse 9 of chapter 3. What then? Are we better than they? We Jews better than they Gentiles? Not at all. For we've already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. And then look at how he describes people. Beginning in 10. There's none righteous. No, not one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. There's none who does good. Verse 13, their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. The path of peace they have not known. Now that's quite a description, isn't it? He's describing people and the sinfulness of people. But look at verse 18. Why is all of that the case? Why why are they guilty of all of these sins? Verse 18. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Why is the world in the shape that it's in? Ultimately, it's because there's no fear of God before people's eyes. People don't fear God anymore. Life makes so much more sense... And what doesn't make sense is more easily accepted when life is lived with a proper respect for and reverence for God. It just is. Adam and Eve got in trouble at the very beginning when they began to think wrongly about God. That's ultimately how Satan got them. Satan got them to believe that God was not trustworthy. That you couldn't take him at his word. That he was not really looking out for them. That he didn't have their best interests at heart. That he was trying to keep something good from them that they would enjoy. That was All of that was in back of what Satan was trying to do, specifically with Eve. God's not looking out for you, Eve. Surely die? Nah. God knows that when you eat the fruit that he told you not to eat, he knows good and well 
that that's going to make you just like him. And he doesn't want that for you. Satan poisoned the well, and they began to think that that's really who God was. That God wasn't looking out for them. God, did, God was trying to keep something from them. So they started to think about God in ways that were faulty and wrong. They didn't fear God anymore. They didn't properly respect and honor God. They didn't think that God was worthy of that respect and honor. And that's why they sinned. So if we begin to properly think about God and have a proper fear of God, respect, reverence for God, that will help us to, to put some things about this life in their proper place. Thinking correctly about God will allow us to trust God with all of those things that we can't explain. And are there going to be things we can't explain about this world? Sure. You know why? Because God hadn't told us everything. He's told us a lot. But He hasn't answered all the questions we have about why certain things happen in this world and why certain other things don't. He just, He's simply, in His wisdom, chosen not to reveal that information to us. But He's revealed enough that if we properly reverence Him, we can accept that there are things we don't understand because we know Him and we know He's trustworthy. And even though we may not be able to understand everything, we can leave in His hands the things that we can't understand knowing that the judge of all the earth will always do what's right. Genesis 18, verse 25. And if we trust that, and that will help us to be able to say, you know what? I can't explain that issue. I can't explain that the existence of this, that, or the other in the world. I, I don't have an explanation for it. But I know this. God is. God is trustworthy. And I'll leave that in His very capable hands. Fear God. And obey God. See, if you think about God the right way, your actions are going to follow suit. If you properly have the concept of God that you should and have the proper respect for God that you should, your life is going to follow the same way. And you'll be an obedient person. Obeying God should not be and won't be a problematic matter if we properly fear God. And it basically boils down to this. God is infinite in His knowledge. The Bible makes that very clear. Psalm 147, verse 5, His understanding is infinite. The fact that God is infinite in His knowledge affirms and reassures the fact that God knows what is best for me. I don't have to worry about whether or not God understands life or understands the workings of His world. He created it. So, I know that because of His infinite understanding, He knows. He knows what's best for me. He knows what is uh, most appropriate for my life and my conduct. He knows what's best for me. 
The Bible also affirms that God is also infinite in His compassion. Infinite in His love. 1 John 4 verse 8 says that is the essence of God. God is love. That assures me These things are handy when they have a little cough button on them. <clears throat> God's being infinite in love assures me that God also wants what's best for me. His infinite knowledge assures me that He knows what's best. His infinite love assures me that He wants what's best. God's not out to get you. God's not out to trick you. God is not out to try to deceive you. God loves you. He that did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? The question of Romans 8.32. So, God, God desires your good. He seeks your well-being. Now, if you had one of those things without the other, we might have a problem. What if God knew what was best for me because He was infinite in knowledge, but He didn't really love me? Well, then He might keep something from me. See, that's what Eve got convinced of. Well, what if God was infinite in His compassion, His love? He wants, He truly wants what's best for us. But what if He wasn't infinite in knowledge and He didn't really know what the best thing was? And none of those things would work out. But God is both infinite in His knowledge and infinite in His love. And then a third thing, God is also infinite in His power. Which means that there is nothing that can stop Him from accomplishing His will for my life. If I'm willing to submit to Him. So with all of that being true, obedience to God shouldn't be a problem. If we think properly about God, we understand who God is, we properly respect Him, obedience shouldn't be a problem because then when we read in the Scripture where God says, you know what, don't do that. If I believe God knows what's best for me and God wants what's best for me, then why would I question that? What would I do if I truly believe those? Well, I'll just do it. Because I trust Him. And so when I read about something else in the Scripture where God says, I want you to do this. Don't do that, but do this. If I truly believe God knows what's best for me and God wants what's best for me, then why would I question anything that He says in His Word? See, obedience is not a problem if we properly fear God. That's the bottom line. Fear God, do what He says. And Solomon says this is the totality of man. Years ago, I don't remember how many, but uh, uh, but the uh, the slogan for the the U.S. Army, Ken, you, you remember that the slogan for the U.S. Army was "Be all you can be." Remember that. 
Be all you can be. You know, in the grand scheme of things, the only way for a person to be all that they can be, to be complete and to reach their full potential, is by heeding the bottom line. Fear God. Do what He says. And Solomon goes a step further. After he lays it out and says, you know what, We've, all the evidence is in. All has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. Then he goes a step further and says, and here's why. Here's why that's the bottom line. Here's why that's the most important thing. Verse 14, because God will bring every work into judgment. With every secret thing, whether good or bad. See, ultimately why the bottom line is the bottom line is because each one of us is going to stand before God one day. Every last one of us. And you know what God's going to be concerned about on that day? Bottom line. Bottom line. So if that's what God's going to be concerned about on that day, what should you and I be concerned about this day? Bottom line. Are you? Are you? If you're not, Something's wrong. If you've allowed a lot of these other peripheral matters to get such a foothold in your thinking and in your life that you rarely, if ever, give thought to the bottom line, it's about time to change that. Matter of fact, it's past time to change that. Because ultimately, that's all that matters. If you realize that God's bottom line has not been your bottom line, be thankful for an opportunity to make some changes. Maybe in this assembly tonight there's somebody who's not yet obeyed the gospel. Still outside of Christ. If that describes you and you understand what you need to do in order to obey the gospel, that is culminated in your immersion into Christ. You understand that. You're ready to uh, complete your obedience to the gospel. Then I encourage you to do it tonight. Maybe you're just beginning that journey. You're interested in what needs to be done. You're interested in what you need to do, but you're not yet clear on it. You need to study some more. Let us know that tonight. Be glad to study the Word of God with you. I suspect most everyone in this assembly tonight's already done that. But it may be that you haven't been living your life like you understand that you really need to. The bottom line hasn't been your focus. You can change that tonight. And if we can pray with you for strength and courage to get your life back focused where it needs to be, would you let us know that request tonight 
so we can pray with you. We invite you to come if you're subject to the invitation as we stand together and sing.